Hello, Theologizers. Uh, welcome to uh, another episode, the first episode of 2020. I'm sorry we bailed on our uh, Christmas Carol episode. We got uh, too busy with the holidays, but hey, that just gives us more time to plan for the greatest episode you will ever experience this Christmas. Yes. So, uh, I was talking big game. I was like, yo, <laughs> guaranteed. Mark my words. We're doing two in December. Christmas Carol coming your way without a doubt. And uh, here we are in January, and we totally dropped the ball. So yep. you know, that's how we roll in Theo, Theo Bros. We we are not men of our word. Classic Theo Bros, man. <laughs> Dropping the ball since 2017, baby. Can confirm. I, yeah. And you might be wondering, what's that other voice you're hearing? We have a special guest, a treat for you theologizers. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let Ben introduce her. <laughs> so this is my fiance, Kaylee. Hi. And she's here because... Um, well, we've been wanting to have her on the podcast for a while, um, mm-hmm. uh, cause she likes to think about a lot of these sorts of things and she has her, uh, her own kind of, uh, INFJ style wisdom and, um, Indeed. Spooky. Uh, what was that? I said it's spooky. Yeah, spooky. <laughs> and one of the things we've been talking about that she thought it might be cool to talk on the podcast about is about, um, anxiety from a Christian perspective. And especially the kind of like subtle spiritual dimensions of anxiety and how it relates to humility and pride. So it's kind of an open-ended conversation, but hopefully um, I think there are aspects of the relationship between anxiety and humility that Kaylee and I have come to realize that are more subtle, that I think if we talk about them more in the open, I think maybe Christians could benefit from it. So yeah. I think anxiety is something that everyone deals with on some degree, to some degree, especially in the modern era. I think anxiety, aren't there statistics that show anxiety has gone up? The numbers have gone up like ridiculously since. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all a, it's all a Twitter joke and, mm-hmm. but uh, we're all, I think underneath all the Twitter jokes and stuff and the, the funny memes that we all can chuckle at like it is very real for a lot of us so that's part yeah. of why we wanted to talk about it. i think it's a very relatable struggle yeah definitely yeah so i have um generalized anxiety disorder which i've had for um many 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 years um and obviously the how extreme or how extreme it is or how much it interferes with my daily life kind of ebbs and flows but it's definitely something that's always kind of in the background of my life. Um, What about you, Kaylee? What's your experience been? So I actually, I would say for a long time, I would have considered myself like a high functioning anxious person, right? Like (laughs) I used it to like get stuff done um, Mm -hmm. through probably, I think it started in middle school if I really look back and think about it. Um, But yeah, I would say like I was very, I didn't perceive myself as having an actual anxiety disorder until about two years into grad school, it started morphing into something that was low functioning <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> um, I love that low functioning anxiety. It's real low functioning. Oh yeah. And um, I mean, it's it's a lot. There's a long story, but you know, if anything is going to bring out um, issues with you know self worth and uh, how you feel about yourself and drive anxiety for sure, grad school will do that for you. Oh yeah. Um, and so do you recommend 
I can imagine. Um, and so, you know, about two, two, three years in, um, this definitely started morphing into something that was a real issue. And it actually took about a year and a half for me to get diagnosed with some obsessive compulsive disorder that was kind of feeding into this and driving this stuff. Um, and that was actually around the time. So I got diagnosed around last January, February. That sounds about right. And that was actually when I started kind of struggling with some of this stuff that we'll talk about today. Um, Cause as serious as OCD and anxiety are, I think everyone who's experienced them also knows that like those thoughts that you have, you can objectively see that they're ridiculous, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole um, source of, I guess, depending on what you're, you're worried about. But in many um, instances that I experienced at least, I could recognize that something I was worrying about was sort of silly, um, but at the same time was making my life miserable. So I think that's what made me think about some of this stuff and, and talk to Ben about it a lot also. But you, Brett? Yeah. <laughs> you chilling? <laughs> Not necessarily. I do, I, I do better now than I have in the past, I will say. So for me, anxiety was not something I really dealt with for most of my life. Up until about, I guess, how, how long ago was that now? Maybe like five years ago, like in my, my late 20s anxiety reared its ugly head at me and i thought i was immune i thought i was good to go <laughs> but no nope. for, the, for the longest time brett was the only of our siblings that didn't have a lot of issues with anxiety and panic <laughs> yeah and i thought i was just the one who was chill <laughs> but it came on me uh, initially it wasn't a slow progression i got smacked with a anxiety attack out of the blue and I'd never experienced any anxiety issues before that it was back in 2014 um, and I was at church one Sunday morning it was a church that we were trying out for the first time and I, I just felt a little weird like walking into the sanctuary all of a sudden I don't know what it was I just felt a little off little lightheaded and we went into our row worship was going on and I just all of a sudden felt like I couldn't like relax, like like my body was on the verge of some sort of like loss of control. I, yeah. I, I didn't feel like I had any groundedness in my being. It was the weirdest thing. So I started to kind of panic. I was like, what is this? And then I, I walked out. Of, I had to leave. I told I told my friends, I got to I got to go to the bathroom. So I got to get out and try to figure out what this is. So I went to the bathroom and it's it, the, the feeling just kept on. I didn't go to the bathroom. I went inside and tried. <laughs> <laughs> going to the bathroom didn't relieve If you ever feel anxious, purifier <laughs> solution, just sit on the throne. Sit on the throne. No, I just looked in the mirror and kind of like splashed some water on my face. Did not help. And I, I was like, okay, I got to I gotta like sleep this off or something. So I, I, I drove home. I, I felt I couldn't even drive real well. Yeah. And I sleeping it off didn't work. I, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't escape this. Like normally I think, <laughs> what is the solution? If I'm feeling bad or physically, yeah. I normally think like I, I gotta find a solution to get myself into a better place. And even like being home and in, in, in my bed and watching TV, nothing was helping. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it, do I have some dis like 
disorder is like am i is something really bad happening to me mm-hmm. but then i called my mom who's dealt with anxiety and she explained that that's what was going on and and that ended up itself naming it kind of helped me get a little feel a little better because okay i know what this is anyway that led to like a string of maybe six months where i just had like my nerves were shot for like six months and yeah. i was in, i was kind of in constant a constant anxious even like some depression slept in space like kind of a a veil i'd never experienced this i never felt like there was a veil over my experience or something but i i had that for many months and i had like a couple other actual attacks within that time frame but then it slowly got better after about half a year and and i've been pretty good since i mean i still get anxiety about things in life obviously like anybody from time to time but Mm -hmm. that was like when i was dealing with like more of a maybe medical anxiety like yeah you know what i mean because it wasn't directed at any there was nothing that i that was causing this i i didn't there was no like thing i could point to say this is making me anxious it was just the feeling itself so right Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's the kind of anxiety that I want to clarify that I'm kind of talking about is not real fears about real things that are going on in your life that are really serious. That's to me is a different category of anxiety Mm -hmm. that I guess when we start talking about the kind of prayer stuff and that I was talking to Ben about during this whole period, um, you know, it's always good to pray about that big stuff too. But I think the stuff I had the hardest time actually praying about was these medical anxiety experiences that we're talking about, where it's anxiety doesn't seem to be fixated on a real legitimate problem that you can solve or, mm. or that, you know, is that is um, sort of equal with the weight of misery that the anxiety is causing. Does that make sense? Definitely. At least that's kind of where the experience that I'm at least I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all have that. I think we all have that experience between us three. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're going to focus on that kind of obstructive anxiety, but I do think most of what we'll say also just to applies to anxiety in general. Yeah. Right. Even over more serious. Right. Yeah, big, because big life stuff. So, you know, when Christ talked about anxiety in the Gospels, he talks about it in a general way. He says that it's his will for us that we not be anxious about anything. Mm-hmm. It's part of his Sermon on the Mount that we, you know, take no care for the morrow. You know, he talks about how, you know, even the, you know, least animal like a sparrow or a fox that the father provides for them and that we have a heavenly father that's going to provide for us ultimately, you know, again, that doesn't mean that we're never going to suffer. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Christ himself suffered brutally. <laughs> right? yeah. And as Christians, we're called to suffer as well with Christ. And so Christ's teaching about not being anxious doesn't have to do with, it's not, it's no prosperity gospel BS. Or is mm-hmm. it, well, if you just have enough <laughs> faith then you'll be cruising, yeah. you know, yeah no like you as christ says he says in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world that's the basis of his him not wanting us to be anxiety 
not be anxiety, not be anxious. Hey, sometimes you be anxiety. Be anxiety be like that. Incarnate. Uh, sometimes it be like that. Right? Because even in the face of even in the face of death. Right? And that goes to yeah. Paul's teaching of, you know, um, neither height nor depth, you know, nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth, no demonic powers or anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate basis of not being anxious. But of course, cultivating that is a life's project. It's something that you progressively try to get better at through the help of the Holy Spirit. So Kaylee, why don't you talk a little more in detail about what your experience was and what you started to learn through prayer and some of the conversations we started having. Okay. So yeah, I'll start with, I think the best example I will describe my specific fear that I was dealing with when I got diagnosed with OCD last year, because I think it's a really good illustration of what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so I actually, OCD is, was, has been funny for me, at least, because, and I think many people who have, because Ben has also had some experiences with obsessive fears. Oh, yeah. I think many people who have this type of experience, so first of all, for anybody who hasn't experienced this, the experience is one of like your brain getting stuck on something. It just sticks and sticks and sticks. It's like having this nasty little monster in your head that picks a fear out that could happen hypothetically in your life. And it, the more that it eats into your headspace, it pushes out everything else and it takes all of its energy to find every opportunity where that fear could happen to you. And it really thrives. It's kind of like regular anxiety is, is that it thrives on this lack of control and the mm -hmm. unknown. And so my fears have been particularly good at finding something that I can't predict. And what's something you can't predict when you're going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this okay. is what it came up with. So OCD mm -hmm. spends all its time trying to figure out for me, at least, what can't I predict? And what can I remind you constantly that could happen at any time? And mm -hmm. so I developed a metaphobia, which I never thought in my life would be something that I had. And yeah. so it was this experience of like, my brain was spending so much time thinking about am I feeling sick? What if I feel sick later? I also work in a lab where I wear a face mask over my face for several hours a day. So if that's not rife for making you worry about barfing in your own mask, I don't know what yeah. it is, right? <laughs> so it basically, it just kind of eked its way in over months and months and months to the point that like I'm having panic attacks while driving every day because all it's thinking about is like you could throw up and crash your car. Which again, right, this is a ridiculous thought. This is a perfect example of the type of anxiety that in my case, right, it really was causing a lot of misery um, because my brain was just like stuck on this thought. But the struggle that I was having is like, you know, I think a lot of people maybe can relate to the idea that you go to pray about your own problems and you immediately start thinking about all the struggles of your family members and things you see on the news and your friends. And, you know, I felt quite frankly, like ridiculous <laughs> to pray about like such an unrealistic and kind of um, silly thing, even though it was causing a lot of stress in my life. But 
so I, I remember coming to Ben and being like, I know I need to pray about this and that it would help, but I feel like my problem's not big enough. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. So what was your take on this? Because you had some really good advice that ended up helping. Well, I think what I just tried to emphasize, I think part of what makes people think that, oh, this problem's just too small, maybe God doesn't really care about it, is because they're still picturing God God's relationship to you as you're like a civilian in God's like cosmic kingdom or or governorship. And he has like bigger mm-hmm. issues to where you kind of picture like going to ask the president, yeah, you know, to like <laughs> to yeah. talk with you about your yeah. bad day for a while and you're like, well, like he's trying to, you know, get a nuclear deal signed a whole lot of one or something. Well it was it was never that I thought he didn't care. I don't know. All right. Well, I, well I'm kind of getting to so I think, I think something like that picture can be a subconscious influence. So I think what I tried to emphasize at the time was how familial our relationship to God yes. is. Yeah. Um, that we are meant to be, to view God as our heavenly father, first and foremost. Yeah. And when you think about that, so I guess the analogy I made was like when we're, especially when we're children, and of course, relative to God, we'll always be little children. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when I was a little kid, if I would scrape my knee or something, our parents thankfully wouldn't just be like, well, screw you, kid, deal with it. Right? I got bigger Tough fish. Enough. To, I got bigger fish to fry, toots. Yeah. You know, like, I'm launching new- missiles, okay? You care because if you're if you're a father or, you know, a mother, then you what matters to your children or what's really hurting them, right? Or really creating suffering in their life really matters to you. Um, and God has that level of intimacy with us. And I go, and that part of that goes back to again what Christ is saying about he says, like, not a sparrow falls from the sky, not you know, or dies without your heavenly father knowing. And I think like what we're meant to take from that is that God even cares about these minute things in an intimate way, even in the non human world. The father cares about the cubs of a fox being warm on a particular night mm-hmm. and so of course yeah. he cares if his his true children are suffering about anything you know so i think i said stuff along those lines yeah um i, I don't know if this was part of it kaylee but like something that i've experienced as far as like bringing up certain prayer requests to god um, and maybe hesitating on some of them is it is similar to what you were saying where I look at like the world around me, um, the wider world, the news, but also like people in my life. And I think there's a lot of suffering happening and a lot of it, if you had like suffering on, on a scale, a suppose like how, how weighty it supposedly is. Like there's people all around me who have much quote unquote worse suffering than than what I perceive mine to be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, I have a lot of blessing in my life. Do I just need to like just take that and run with it and then just bear the cross of whatever this particular suffering is? Because I don't think it's as bad as other people. Yeah. Because why would God want me to like be doing better than these other people? These other people can't be doing better. Why should I be doing better? You mm-hmm. know? And I, I've kind of been in that space at times. And then I think, you know, this 
compare and contrast kind of thing with like my own experience compared to others, it, it doesn't bring much good, you know, like there's, we all have our firsthand personal relationship with Christ. It's very intimate and, and suffering levels aren't always a lot worse or a lot less than they might look on the surface, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of mental, especially mental anguish is deep suffering, you know, um, and a lot of times doesn't get the credit it's due. I don't think it's yeah. a dark, it's a darkness. It's a silent dark. suffering thing. It's not well, yeah. obvious. You thing. can't escape either. So sometimes I would have this sensation yeah. of like, you probably feel this too, right? When you're having that panic or you said, you know, your, your nerves were shot for several months. It's this feeling of like, I'm too anxious to exist in my own body right now. Like yeah. I feel, you feel this, like it's, I'm so anxious. Like I, I, I can't get out. <laughs> I'm not at peace or at home in my own yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah. My own physicality. Um, yeah. But, I, but I think that's a flawed mindset to have with, with holding stuff from God. And I think, we always have to remember that fatherhood, like Ben, you were saying, that big or small, like God wants to take care of us. And however that care looks in our own experience, we have to trust that he's working for the good in other people's lives, despite what we see, not play the comparison game. And if something is bringing us a, a lot of suffering in our own experience, whether we think it's irrational, rational, big or small, like we br- we 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 should bring it to God, but I'm with you. I struggle to do that sometimes. Yeah, I think the other thing that we talked about a little bit was Ben really trying to remind me of how infinite God's love is too. I think because our experience is of being limited, right? <laughs> we're yeah. all limited. We're all very limited to our own disappointment. We're mm-hmm. all limited, and so sometimes it's easy to forget that when we say infinite love like we're talking infinite we're talking go ahead and pray about your anxiety attack on the way to to work that's there's plenty of love and care to go around but that was something that i i think i i would often forget (laughs) (laughs) no that's something i would often forget (laughs) that's what everyone forgets you know like do we really have a hold on the kind of love that we have access to granted we don't we don't like go to that well and drink from that well that often a lot of times or as much as we should because i don't think we really believe it's there yep i feel like we think it's too good to be true Mm -hmm. like that's that's too good to be what are you talking about i live in a, a world full of suffering i live in a broken world everyone else seems to be struggling is there really an infinite well of love that i have tangible access to Mm -hmm. and i think our faith a lot of our faith doesn't really believe that sometimes but i do i mean and and me included but according to scripture and according to what i know that is true you know yeah that that's available and i think what's beautiful about that idea is it doesn't mean that god is gonna like be like the mechanic coming over to your house and like just fix your issue perfectly. But what it means is that no matter what we're going through, that that love is there for us. 
And in a sense, that's all we need. Right. Like almost like we could continue to bear whatever cross we're bearing if we're experiencing that infinite love while we're bearing it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's, and this kind of touches as a side note, another thing Kaylee and I have talked a lot about is the problem of evil. And I think what you're saying in this idea relates to some of that, because I think, again, God's ultimate goal is not to have us be comfortable. Yeah. Right? Unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> His ultimate goal is not for us to be happy in this life. I try to be, but his ultimate goal is for <laughs> is for us to become the kind of creatures that we were made to be, which is to have all of our satisfaction in God, mm -hmm. right, and participating in, in God's love. Because of the fall and everything, again, we have this veil over our eyes, and so we go around, you know, not really doesn't feel immediate to us. It doesn't occur to us that much that. Even the very act of existing is a participation in God's ongoing creation and sustaining of all being. Paul yeah. says of Christ, in him we live and move and have our being. So literally from moment to moment, we are participating in a gracious act of creative love. And But it's hard for us, again, because of the fall, because all, all the different effects of that, it's hard for us to really realize that. And so there's a... And St. Irenaeus talks about this, about why God allowed like death and decay as a consequence of the fall. But I think we could say why he allows suffering in general mm -hmm. is as a kind of uh, pedagogy because he needs to teach us through our suffering, through being robbed of certain things we love, through death and decay and facing those things, that those are not the things that will ultimately satisfy us. In, in many ways, again, the more comfortable we are, the more we feel like we, we can rely on this life and the goods of this life, the easier it is for us to be self-deceived yes. about what's actually going to fulfill us, about what, we're, what God is actually trying to do in the big plan of eternity. Yeah, um, He wants to get us to a place where our character is such that our, we have complete satisfaction in God and participating in, you know, the Trinitarian life. And then everything else is valuable as an outflow from that. Mm -hmm. Everything else is almost just a thing on top of that, a grace yeah. in addition to that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, but what does that look like? More practically speaking, like what does that total reliance on God and his love look like in our lives? Because there's a lot of truths that we believe, but we want those truths to become the reality of our experience. Yeah. And I think God does too. You know, they're not just supposed to be comforting thoughts. They're supposed to be realities. Yeah. So how does that manifest? Well, that before, we, before we talk about that, I want to connect this back to the anxiety thing. Because I think part of what's going on with our experience of anxiety, another thing Kayla and I talked about, is being really anxious in general, especially about things in the, that might or might not happen in the future. We might not th think this way explicitly, but implicitly, it belies a lack of trust in God's providential control. Yeah. Um, and because of that, it implicitly assumes that that stuff is all up to us. God might be there to help, 
but but, we, but really it's up us. to us to yeah. make sure right mm-hmm. that our life goes as planned yeah. which is hilarious when it, you no step back yeah. <laughs> when you step back and you're like you're really picturing this dynamic and god's like okay <laughs> yeah you do that all right we'll see how that works out for you yeah, yeah. we'll see how that goes <laughs> not going um, so well is it yeah. <laughs> and so it's interesting because there's the almost again we're not having explicitly the thought well i don't trust you god so yeah. i have to be anxious yeah but the fact is that in the act of being anxious this is why christ relates his teaching on anxiety to trust in the father mm-hmm. um in the act of being anxious there's something about, and it may not be your fault. Again, part of this is just the fall, right? Mm-hmm. We just have like broken minds is that we just don't really deep down trust God about that thing. Yeah. Even if in our explicit consciousness, we'd say, oh yeah, I trust God. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and to me, this even goes back to the fall in a way. Many of the early church fathers taught, and this is what I believe that God wanted us eventually to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which is a, a tree of, of kingship and divinization. That was the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want us, but we were in our moral infancy when he first created us. So he wanted it to be something that we grew into mm-hmm. through trust in him and his own timing. And so you might even cap, say the fall is this moment of anxiety and, and lack of trust when the serpent suggests, well, did God really say that? Right? It's like, well, maybe I can't trust him. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe God is trying to be deceitful and it just brings this anxiety and Adam and Eve. Maybe we have to do it ourselves because we can't trust God. Right? Oh, yeah. man. Ain't that the voice? And I think the other thing that we want to wrap in with this a bit, and some of this, it's hard to untangle a little bit of this, too, is the idea of the interplay between humility. Yeah. And how, so at least for me, we watched, we watched a, a video about St. Paisios. Yeah, we watched we wanna... like a YouTube documentary about St. Paisios. He's like a modern um, Orthodox saint. So we watched a video about him. And then there was also, I have, you know, a book of excerpts from different Christian authors because I'm trying to go through and I'm a relatively recent, recent Christian in the past couple of years. So I'm, you know, trying to go through and learn from these different excerpts. And I also found an excerpt about humility there as well. And this was around the same time frame of that was really a breakthrough for me that in addition to this kind of lack of trust, the other thing that's often at play is this lack of humility. And this is something that, you know, we were talking about is pretty insidious, actually. It was very hard. It's hard to recognize. And when we watched this video about St. Paisios, what I took, one of the things I took away from it was that humility was a huge emphasis in his life. It was a huge thing that made him a saintly person. Um, This is somebody who, despite, you know, going to the desert and battling with demons, right? Wow. This is a guy who, his, his primary, something that he was known for was doing his chores reliably. Right, this guy does not think himself above doing chores ever. This is actually an, an emphasis in his life is this practicing of being humble about your yeah. place. And that I found really helpful to start thinking, you know, I just started questioning, why am I afraid of, 
you know, why do I have this fear of throwing up, right? It's sort of a silly thing. What's this feeding off of? And the answer ended up being, after a lot of reflection and praying, we broke through the barrier <laughs> to <laughs> good, actually good. pray. And after a lot of reflection, it actually came down to a fear of embarrassment. And I think that's something that a lot of different types of anxieties feed off of is this fear of what do people think of me? What does this thing happening in my life, you know, if you're afraid of, I don't know, not, not getting this job that, that you want, or you're afraid of giving a presentation in front of a bunch of people, the lack of humility can often drive this feeling of, why do I have to do so well at this presentation? And the answer for me was, I need people to think I'm smart. And I didn't want to admit that to myself. The, mm -hmm. the reason I don't want to be embarrassed and I don't want to look silly at this presentation or, you know, whatever, is because I'm not being humble. You can think of yourself as being a nice person and then have this breakthrough of like, ooh, a lot of this anxiety is coming from me not really realizing that I'm not just deserving in and yeah. of myself to be and that some of this stuff's not important first of yeah. all yeah i mean maybe yeah. ben ben can often unpack my thoughts better than no i thought I that was i thought it was a little description <laughs> yeah no well, i started yeah, going I through totally a similar did. thing i think maybe a helpful way to frame it is we often just identify pride with like haughtiness yes yeah right yeah and so because that's more of an external thing or like you can, an explicit you, you can pinpoint that much easier you know because it is yeah. so external yeah. yeah right um yeah so you're like i'm not that i'm not going around being like i'm yeah. so fantastic yeah. wow yeah, yeah. it's actually all, yeah. the pleasure is all yours it's almost the opposite right yeah. i actually i considered myself kind of like oh i'm like nervous and and i don't think i'm that great and so i'm afraid so I'm, of this i have humility yeah and yeah. you're like actually <laughs> Yeah. You're missing the point. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's so insidious, like you're yeah. saying, because it's so hard to recognize we can mistake it, even our, our ourselves, like we can mistake it as being humble, even though it's yeah. the opposite. Or just reality. a lack of confidence. It's easy to mistake yeah. a lack of confidence yeah. with humility. Yeah. If Not that, the same thing. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can be a very confident person yeah. and very and, and, and still really yeah. really need other people to oh, yeah. to think a certain way about you. You can really really cling to like I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be somebody that, you know, people have to come over and help. The, again, this is like fear that drives some of these particular obsessions and anxieties. This for me at least was this idea of like I don't want to disrupt anyone's day. I don't want any, I don't want to be the person that people have to come help because yeah. I'm sick. Mm -hmm. And, and what does that come down to? It comes down to, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to admit that I'm helpless. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. like we all are. Or an object right? yeah. Like I don't ridicule. have control. I don't want to admit yeah. it. I want to do everything I can to not recognize that I don't have control and I yeah. don't need to. C.S. Lewis has the perfect quote on this that I've always really loved, and I, I need to think about more. <laughs> like yeah. with everything he wrote. Oh, let's bring it back. What do you know? C.S. Lewis has a good quote relating to I know. <laughs> it's a crazy. Well, crazy first, stuff. you should explain your. So, my anxiety feeds off of social yeah. things. Ben's anxiety feeds well, it, off it'll of help in frame mine intellectual. And yours too. Okay. But yeah, the, the quote is just he says, true humility comes from not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less yes 
Wow. Wow. And, and that's the mistake we often make. We're like, Oh, (laughs) but like, I'm so nervous about this and anxious about how, how, how could I be? It's prideful. um, Inward focus. Yeah. You're prideful because all of your attention is obsessively on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, can I, I'll, yeah. I'll read this brief line. So the, the excerpt that I was talking about is, um, it's written by Jeremy Taylor, and it's an excerpt from The Rule and Exercises of Holy Living. And it's from this book called Devotional Classics. And this is actually a really good, it kind of goes across a bunch of different traditions, but cool. um, it's really nice. There's a bunch of really short excerpts, but his section on the grace of humility Ben and I were reading this together during this time period when we were talking about this, and he says this related to that C.S. Lewis quote. So he says, humility does not consist in criticizing yourself or wearing ragged clothes or walking around submissively wherever you go. Humility consists in a realistic opinion of yourself, namely that you are an un- you are an unworthy person. And nobody wants to hear that. You don't want to yeah, hear that. Those words hurt. <laughs> and, and, and that's how, you know, I if you're not Christian, that sounds like way harsh, right? Like you're an unworthy Especially person. Especially in our culture. You the word stink. unworthy. It's all about affirming yourself and yeah. doing you. And but, your specialness. but the point he's getting at is that, you know, when he, another thing that he says later on is when you receive praise for something you have done, take it indifferently and return it to God. Reflect it back to God, the giver of the gift, the blesser of the action, the aid of the project. Always give God thanks for making you an instrument of his glory for the benefit of others. So I think what he's getting at is not you stink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that you, he's saying the opposite. It's not, it's not that you go around like, Oh, I'm so humble. I I'm terrible. I, I stink. It's this idea of like, you're not in control. Yeah. You're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that you need to refocus on you're unworthy. Yeah. But God loves you anyway. That's that's what I think what's missing from yeah. the end of that sentence yeah. that he's it's trying to get at. It's not that you suck. It's just you are what you are. You are what you are. And what you are <laughs> is a finite, usually stupid, <laughs> uh, very yep. often symbol. Uh, symbol uh, sorry. Sinful. Sinful. <laughs> sinful. Yeah. Often. Oh, see, uh, I'm stupid. There you go. <laughs> uh, Example right there. No. Totally dependent from moment to moment for every breath on god all of your gifts and talents come from and you are where you are so it doesn't mean you suck it just means you're a a totally dependent finite creature who's meant to reflect the glory of god and that's it you know um but yeah so like what i my kind of parallel thing i've struggled with for years and i'm still kind of trying to work through right now but i think a lot of these conversations with kaylee and stuff this came out more explicitly in the last year or so is a lot of my anxiety and OCD has been bound up with my intellectual pursuits, which is, I mean, apart from relationships has been kind of the center of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since I was in college at least. And one thing that I've been anxious about for years and obsessive about is, um, getting, especially like my theology, right. Doctrines and church history and all this sort of stuff which I do still think is objectively important. Mm -hmm. But the way I was approaching it with this level of anxiety and kind of obsessive impatience, um, I realized that kind of a similar dynamic was probably going on with me subconsciously. You know, so if I would read something in the Bible that would disturb me or I didn't really see how it fit, 
with some other stuff. So like one thing that I've been thinking about recently is uh, I read through the book of Psalms. So many of the Psalms are these imprecatory Psalms where David is calling for God to destroy to destroy his enemies, yeah. to, you know, dash the babies of the Babylonians against the rocks and break the teeth <laughs> of sinners yeah. and all these sorts of things. That's not what all the Psalms is. I that's, they don't, that's what people don't have on their refrigerator. Or no. Exactly. <laughs> they pick and choose the ones that's, they want to That's not going to be in the Christmas card. No, it is not embroidered on a pillow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to do like a funny, like online store where we have like absurd verses, but like yeah. a very like, yeah, yeah, like classic, like Babylon. Yeah. The the website Babylon B has done some stuff like that. Oh, yeah. By the way, I highly recommend the Babylon B to everyone. It's a Christian news satire site. Never heard of um, that. Anyway, but so I kind of realized that part of what was going. Oh, sorry, with the Psalms thing, and so I would feel disturbed about. Okay, but well, how does that relate to Jesus' teaching on loving your enemies? Right. So there, there are things like that that just would really make me anxious and disturb me and throw me off. And, and to a degree, obviously, they they still do. But I kind of realized that part of this general pattern was connected to, again, I would never think this explicitly, but I must have this implicit premise in my subconscious, which is if I don't understand how it fits, then it must not fit. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or maybe it doesn't fit. And so again, it wasn't explicit in my thought process, but my level of impatience and anxiety over these issues, I realized I'm like... I don't have any like humility before God to to be like, you know what, just because I don't see how this or that works, or I don't see how this fits together intellectually, that doesn't mean that it doesn't. And it doesn't mean that God isn't good. I just need to learn to wait on him and trust in him. And that's another thing too, I, that I kept coming out. I was like, well, what's like a biblical view too of, how we come to know things about God in a stable way, how we come to have wisdom in general. And if you read the wisdom literature, right, whether it's Proverbs or a lot of the Psalms or um, one of my favorites, um, one of the, uh, what Protestants would call apocryphal is the, uh, the wisdom of Solomon. And in all of those books, the idea is that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it consistently talks about wisdom as a gift to who? The humble, right? Mm. The, the secret of the Lord is for the humble, for those who fear him. And my, you know, post-enlightenment, hyper-rationalistic <laughs> view, I keep, you know, projecting into all things spiritual as well. And I think it's up to me to figure it out. Again, it's up to me, right? That's yeah. the, the ongoing theme of this conversation. Is I got I this, ha- man. I got this. It's yeah. all good. I'm and again, business. this goes back to the yeah. to Genesis uh, as well, and and the fall. Because I can tell you can tell the story of the fall again is kind of like archetypally patterned in basically everything that's wrong with us. And so you could you could yeah. apply it to here as well. Is I want to, you know, the, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of wisdom. And again, God wants us to have wisdom. But what was the mistake? It was that we didn't wait on God to bring us to the tree and to give us wisdom in his own time as he matured us. But we thought, and again, in my own life, I have to reach out and grab from the tree of wisdom. Yeah, It has to be something that I achieve through my own effort. You know? Yeah. Not the reliance on God or waiting on God or trusting God, but... I will make it happen. I will grab the fruit. Yeah. That's what so many of our problems 
come down to. I'm realizing more and more as life goes on is we just don't trust. We don't really trust in God. No. <laughs> that sounds bad because everyone says they do. And I think all of us professing Christians do to a certain extent. But that real deal trust is such a a foreign way to live for so many people because it, it, it so goes against everything that like the secular world and experience is telling us Mm -hmm. which is this is a dangerous world a lot could go wrong you need to protect yourself by whatever means necessary you need to make sure that you are in good standing in society whether that means like i'm successful or i'm smart or i'm well liked we have to be that for security, everything is like we need to go after all these other things for our worth, security, for our peace of mind. We don't really believe God can do it for us. This is the Theo Bros podcast.